Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings, of course, on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 914. I'm joined with our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson, to chat about the news stories. Of course, Russia is still uh, making all of the headlines uh, at the moment with the Ukraine war. Uh, But we have news of more brands that are leaving or maybe not leaving Russia. Yeah, uh, two big announcements made during the week. Uh, Nokia and Ericsson uh, have both closed down their Russian operations. Um, But following uh, Huawei, actually, I was wondering uh, what Huawei's uh, strategy was Mm. uh, at the moment, um, seeing as they're sort of one of the other big players in 5G networking equipment. And they put all their staff on uh, mandatory leave. So they haven't actually left the country. They've just sort of um, ceased. But that's but that's fine. In my books, it's like, you know, OK, while you're doing this, forget it. We're, we're going to put the ball to put on it. You know, it's like, you know, your mammy uh, would have told you, don't burn your bridges. <laughs> <laughs> so let's close the bridge, but we won't burn it. Do you know what I mean? So well, I, kind of, yeah, I understand that. L- largely due to the fact that Huawei is a Chinese company. And the official line from China from President Xi Jinping is that... Uh, China's friendship with mm. Russia is, quote, rock solid. So they're they're turning a blind eye to what's happening in Ukraine, mm. uh, which means that Chinese companies are giving a certain level of latitude. Now, of course, Huawei does so much business in the West uh, and has a huge um, issue with PR at the moment because uh, so many countries think that they're basically spying on behalf of the Chinese uh, government. Yeah. That, you know, it, it needs uh, a little bit of latitude. It, it can't afford to, to burn any more bridges. Uh, so Huawei is massively, uh, uh, massively invested in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia will need somebody to manage its 5G rollout. Uh, if all the big players are leaving, well, that's pretty much a, a captive market, if you don't mind the expression for mm. Huawei. And um, we'll see where where it goes from there. But I thought it was very interesting that, you know, the drip drip of companies leaving Russia is continuing. And for infrastructure companies to be moving out and for 5G rollout to be stalled are absolutely huge developments. Mm. So, you know, previously when we were seeing luxury brands and the likes of McDonald's pulling out, you're like, okay, it's it's fine. I I can't really see people being upset over not being able to get a Big Mac. But once you get into things like this, where it's impacting people's ability to communicate, you've got a big problem. Well, I'd I'd be the opposite to you because people can still communicate because 4G works perfectly well. Thank you very much. Uh, And I would be far more upset with my local McDonald's closing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much. Maybe you need to reevaluate your diet, <laughs> do you think? Uh, the other big news this week is uh, Elon Musk, of course, causing trouble in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Naughty um, little it, child that he is. <laughs> looks like he's staring down the barrel of a class action suit over mm. his purchase of Twitter shares because, uh, well, it's that scene. Uh, last week we discussed that Elon Musk has bought 9.2% of Twitter. So uh, making him the largest individual shareholder in the company. Uh, we now know that um, he's decided not to take a hands-on role. Uh, one, of, one of the benefits of which 
is me. He can actually buy more shares if he wishes. He doesn't have to be uh, uh, an activist shareholder mm-hmm. to increase his uh, his hold on the company. Uh, or rather, he doesn't have to be a board member to increase his share uh, of the company. Um, but uh, he did something that was slightly bold. I'm going to say actually quite bold. In that what he did was he bought up a whole bunch of shares on the 14th of March. And he was required to um, declare that he had done it. Right. I, mm-hmm. I think there's there's a window and it's it's something like five days or, or something like that. It's a very small window during which you, you buy shares and you have to declare that you bought it. OK. Right? Unfortunately, Elon Musk bought his shares on the 14th of March and he didn't make it public until the 4th of April. And of course, you can imagine there's been an awful lot of traffic um, on Twitter. Uh, well, on the market since then. I mean, you imagine that a lot of people might have flipped their shares. Some people might have cashed out completely. Um, and they would have done this on the uh, understanding that the share price was about $39. Right? Elon Musk makes his, uh, says, oh, by the way, I've gone and bought 5% of the company. The share price shot up to nearly $50. So you've got a lot of people there going, well, hang on, just wait a minute. <laughs> You bought the shares here. You didn't tell anyone until here. We'd cashed out in the interim mm. when you should have made your disclosure. It's actually a 10-day window. Mm. You should have made your disclosure. So we could have we could have hung on. We could have, we could have hung back. Um, so I don't know. The, the thinking at the moment is that he saved something like $143 million. I'm, lo- um, I'm, I'm looking at the Twitter share price at the moment and it's, it's kind of interesting, okay? So you say that on the 14th of March he bought... Uh, whatever he, he bought. Uh, the high, well, last October, Twitter was uh, being sold for $65 a share, okay? Uh, since wow. October, it had tumbled all the way down to almost a low of $33 a share around the 14th mm. of March. So Elon, being a good little investor that he is, he goes, okay, well, that looks like the bottom. Let's buy loads of stuff, all right? Mm. Uh, in the time that he bought and it actually went public, the price went up by about $4, which would mm. be an average, you know, kind of, eh, maybe it's gone up a little bit. Everybody was kind of going up a little bit uh, from the mid of March uh, uh, to April. And it was only when he had made the announcement on the 4th of April anyway that mm. it shot up by another $10 or $12 yeah. or whatever. So I think the argument about, well, if we had known, we could have been able to blah, blah, is absolutely false. Because whatever you could have done on the 24th of March, whatever you could have done on the on the 4th of April equally, it would have made no difference the date. Um, but I think they may get him on the fact that he didn't file it on time. Uh, and I think they probably will, because from what I remember, uh, there was a big thing with Elon Musk and Twitter and the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC in the States, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where he made announcements on Twitter about what he was going to do with uh, Tesla, I think it was, which is against the rules. Uh, and he got fined huge amounts of money. So, th- th- and that's why I call Elon Musk a naughty little boy. <laughs> naughty little boy. Because he doesn't yeah. do what the, you know, the mammies and the daddies at the New York Stock Exchange tell him that he should do. Well, you know, regulators, I would prefer to call them the people that make sure there's the a The mammies and daddies field. of the world, not <laughs> the regulators. <laughs> Go on. Anyways, uh, uh, we wait and see what we wait and see what happens. But the other shocking news! Oh my god, I can't believe this headline as I read it. You must tell me more. The headline is LinkedIn is full of fakes. <gasps> yeah, LinkedIn is full of fakes. Shocker. 
you know, I, I, I don't know. Have you come across this where somebody has asked to um, become a contact uh, on Facebook to, to reach out to you? That's perfectly fine. That's how it works. I mean, it is a social network. Um, and you might get a little message with us, you know, hi, Dusty, uh, I'd like to connect with you. Mm. Fair enough. That's quite nice. You know, you don't necessarily have to send something, just a regular connect request will do me just fine. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get a, I would really like to connect with you and we can discuss, um, you know, any sales opportunities we might have. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this is a little bit of a a red flag because according to a study by the Stanford Internet uh, Observatory, they were able to identify 1,000 deepfake accounts that are being used by businesses to approach people to make sales these people don't actually exist. This is basically, I don't, I don't want to call it a phishing expedition because it sounds like phishing with a PH, phishing with, a, with an F, uh, if you will, just to open lines of dialogue to get people thinking about buying from their company. But the person making the contact isn't actually a person. Okay, so, ba- so it's basically making a purchase from a fake company. Kind of, yeah. Or you know, you might get a, a request from Niall and you would go, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll make that request. You then get an email from somebody going, oh, you connected with my friend Niall. I'm contacting you on behalf of him. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you've gotten through that deep fake through to the real person who will be making the sale. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, this is very very poor form. It's it's misrepresentation. It's it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, not actually illegal, but what is really interesting is the way the deepfake profiles were um, were identified, right? Because there was a researcher um, at the observatory who got a, um, uh, a request from somebody called Keenan Ramsey, who was a made-up person. Mm. And uh, this researcher was like, oh, well, that's kind of, yeah, fine. But she looked, uh, the researcher looked at this person's profile picture and it was just slightly off. It was slightly off. It was just one or two little things, one of which was that the woman was only wearing one earring. She didn't have an earring in each ear. She she just had one. And then she sort of, you know, did a, a little bit more sort of investigation. And I was like, you know, this isn't right. And what you would expect is for, you know, somebody's face from across the web to have been copied, pasted, stolen, Whatever. Added to this yeah. uh, to, to somebody's profile because that happens at an awful lot on dating sites. Um, what had happened in this case was it was an entirely AI generated face, entirely AI generated. So it wasn't somebody that could come along and go, "Hey, that's yeah. my likeness. You you've yeah. gone and you've gone and robbed me." Uh, no, it's it's literally kind of a, a digital photo fish. Yeah, um, presumably of the type of person you might respond to. Uh, particularly well, maybe someone that looks like you, uh, you know, in sort of the, the broader sense. And this is uh, this is how uh, companies, well, some companies are are actually working their sales strategy. Just make the initial connect, uh, and then maybe talk to talk to somebody else down the down the line. Yeah. So uh, the the sort of the upside of this is that you can have companies um, that are creating profiles that act like regular profiles as opposed to st- spam profiles, yeah. which are like sending out messages willy-nilly and they just look like the, it's strange behavior, which throws up a red flag to uh, to LinkedIn. If you have uh, profiles that are arriving 
uh, being generated like and acting like regular mm. profiles, that makes it very difficult to spot. So you're you're very much relying on sort of the intelligence of your user base to uh, recognize, oh, this is a thing and we should report it. I think if you start off with nothing online is true, that's a, that's a good jumping off point. <laughs> so <laughs> you have I you have to so. prove. I, I I'm I'm a regular user of LinkedIn, and uh, somebody said something to me which absolutely wrong, one hundred percent true, with me, uh, and I've used the expression ever since. Every time I log in onto LinkedIn, a little piece of me dies. <laughs> now well, you know let's what? please please stop talking about bloody LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I really do hate it. I was going to defend it. LinkedIn oh, for no. a moment. But I okay. hate it. I absolutely hate it. Anyways, uh, last story of the week. Um, metaverse. Okay, so uh, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg is out and he's, uh, you know, meta and da, 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 and all that kind of stuff. How is Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, meta, all that? How are they going to make money from metaverse? What's the plan? Okay, here's the plan. Uh, this is reported in Ars Technica, and I think it referred uh, specifically to Wendy's, which is a, a fast food chain in America, uh, and how they are making money. But is um, it's sort of uh, going to be kind of the model going going forward? To use that awful, awful expression. So, as we know, with mobile apps, uh, if you're selling through Apple, uh, if you're selling through iTunes or Google Play, um, they will take a chunk of your revenue, I think it's mm. what thirty percent they take. Yeah, so you get you get to keep seventy percent of what what you put up, and you know th- that's still probably not an awful lot because let's be real here. I think it's like 15, 15 apps take up like the vast majority of the uh, of the traffic from the iTunes store. It's a very small number of apps that are actually making money, uh, sort of for for companies out there. Mm. They're, they're they're almost shop windows to be honest. Um, or, or projects for people that want to want to get something else off the ground. So we kind of expect that kind of a model. And indeed, if you go on the Oculus store and you buy an app from it, um, yep, it's thirty percent is held on to by Meta. That's fine. I mean, you, you expect that. Okay. However, uh, we are discovering that on certain uh, places where you go on the metaverse, bearing in mind it's a very very small place at the moment, but companies uh, separate from Meta are taking 25% of anything that's sold uh, through those apps, right? So Oculus will go, okay, 30% for your app. Okay, that's fine. Uh, And we'll take another 25% of what you've actually sold through it. So technically you are losing 55% of the money you are putting into Meta. That's extreme why why would you bother because meta are possibly putting you in front of a large audience who are interested in that kind of a thing but they're hard to find because as you say the metaverse is quite small so possibly mm. at the moment it's worth it uh, i don't know 55% though as a, as a sales commission uh, sounds yeah. it sounds very zuckerberg really doesn't it doesn't it <laughs> yeah doesn't it's, it just it's very much sort of, okay, if you're trying something, here's the rules. If you're actually making money through it, 
Well, guess what? <laughs> well, guess what? You, you need to pay a lot of tax to go with that. All right, okay. pl- and taxes is extra on top of that. Ah, so stop you, it. You this have... Is, have you any good news? Have you any good news? No, you don't. Look at you. You're complete. You didn't even show up at an Easter egg. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Niall, thanks as always for keeping us up to date with the news as it's happening this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. <laughs> This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. It's been a record year for investments in technology companies, according to Tech Ireland's funding review, which showed a record 1.6 billion euro being put into Irish tech companies across the year. So who is exceeding expectations and who has a little bit to go just yet? John O'Dee is chief executive at Tech Ireland, and he explained all to Niall Kitson. Some observers might have called 2021 something of a bumper year for uh, investment in tech in Ireland, whereas others would call it a a record year. Which to you is it and why? (laughs) Thanks, Niall. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I love the tech radio podcast. Uh, You're doing great for publicising and promoting Irish tech. Actually, yeah, um, uh, Tech Ireland has just published our review for Irish tech funding for last year. And you're right, it was a bumper year or a record year. It certainly was the best year to date for funding into Irish tech. I mean, 1.6 billion euros was raised. That's up 60% on the the record 1 billion previous year. And that was 300 Irish tech companies. Again, a record number of companies. Given the the pandemic, it's, uh, it's amazing. Not only did the overall amount go up, but the number of companies went up. Uh, so clearly, uh, investor confidence has rebounded from from the uh, the panic. And and Irish tech companies are probably as optimistic about their prospects and about um, um, sort of the future as we've ever seen. Actually, in these uh, surveys that Tech Ireland does of Irish tech companies. So it sort of uh, makes one wonder uh, the sort of the pandemic effect that that really got to some industries like hospitality and retail and hit them very, very hard. Whereas the tech industry, uh, of course, adapted very quickly. But did it also bring with it a change of mindset in that, OK, my regular business isn't isn't open as well as it should be or, you know, maybe now is the time to think about making a change uh, kind of in the way that we have the the great resignation, if you will, and sort of the wake of the pandemic. Does that mean that sort of the past year was a particularly good time to think about starting a business? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was that. Uh, certainly tech businesses are extremely positive. And, and the, uh, we did a recent survey and they were saying that the COVID, COVID didn't affect them negatively. Um, but uh, also the sectors that uh, that the, fu- the funding has gone into have been very COVID resilient, I suppose. Uh, health tech, I mean, it was way and, and above the largest sector that funding went into, followed by enterprise solutions, which again are relatively kind of COVID-free uh, 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 fintech. 
Um, uh, e-commerce, e-commerce did, did extremely well uh, last year. Um, uh, languishing at the bottom of the heap, I suppose, is travel tech, as you could kind of uh, understand. But but no, I'm sort of I think uh, tech in general has weathered this storm very very well. So in looking then at those sort of sectors that, that you felt, you know, performed pretty well, were there any that you felt were, were kind of disappointing? Uh, maybe not so much in, in terms of, you know, their potential, but, but their actual performance. Um, I, I think the one thing, that, the one that surprised me was clean tech. I mean, um, that's a sector that has got a lot of coverage. I mean, sort of, we're all very conscious of the need to be green and I suppose the potential in that space. But but last year was a particularly dismal year. I think only seven clean tech companies, there is between them 12 million. I mean, that was down from Oh, 150 million, or I think it was actually 170 million the previous year, you know. So, so clean tech. Now, these things, of course, when you're talking about a small number of companies, it is very variable and, and it's, it's hard to read too much into a single year. But, but that was a, a, a sector that I thought uh, did surprisingly poorly. Whereas you can kind of understand why travel tech kind of was languishing uh, in a in a pretty uh, lonely corner there of the of the spectrum i suppose then looking at the the opposite end of the scale of of sectors that did pretty well um sort of software as a service uh, companies or or saas companies did yeah. uh, extremely well and companies selling into that that big international enterprise space did really well uh, also so is part of the the trick to look towards those external markets and not not worry so much about the the domestic options, specific especially when you think about the uh, divergence in COVID measures that were out there. The way some countries pretty much gave up on them very quickly, to others where it was uh, intensely politicised. Well, I suppose uh, Irish tech is very much part of the the global tech world. I mean, the the domestic market is so, so tiny. I mean, no tech business can really survive on the on the Irish market. So they're yeah they're they look to uh, to the to the to, to the states really I suppose after after uh, kind of the Ireland and the UK sort of market typically followed by by uh, the the European market but yeah uh, uh, the, the, what happens in on the domestic scene here has has little relevance in terms of the market I think. So in looking at that top line figure of one point six billion. Uh, invested uh, in Ireland in 2021, it begs the question, okay, who is actually putting in this money? Uh, is it is it sort of the so-called angel investors that are looking to sort of have a, a very strong portfolio or are they the institutional investors like, you know, maybe the banks or government agencies? Well, uh, I suppose in terms of numbers, uh, you, you you have to start off with Enterprise Ireland. I mean, that leads the charge in the at, certainly at the early stage. I mean, you probably saw their announcement earlier, or it was the end of last week, actually. I think it was last Thursday. Um, they had invested twenty eight million into into very early stage businesses. Um, up something like one hundred and twenty five million through their high potential startup fund, and that that puts in. 250,000 into each company, you know, uh, sort of early stage equity. And I think 45 or 46 
smaller investments. But there, the Enterprise Ireland is hugely important because not only are they uh, do they do they put in that money, but also they're limited partners in most of the seed and VC funds as well. A lot of those funds just wouldn't get off the ground without EI writing a check, uh, you know, at, at the beginning. So, so Enterprise Ireland is hugely it's hugely important, and this uh, this new ninety million uh, what's it called innovation startup fund that they they're just uh, pushing out now. I mean, that's going to be hugely important. I was talking to to uh, Donika Cullinan of Enterprise Ireland, and he's on the, in the uh, innov- uh, investment side there. He was saying that they expect uh, th- that innovation fund to result in an additional 200 million going into uh, early stage uh, Irish businesses over the next few years. So that's hugely important. And and even on Monday, you probably saw Delta VC uh, sort of announced their new fund with, with Bank of Ireland. Um, and it's great to see Bank of Ireland kind of getting back into this early stage investment because they they pulled out, I suppose, after, after the banking crash. I mean, and uh, they weren't in, in this space. But it's great to see um, um, Delta, Bank of Ireland, and I think Fexco as well, and some, some uh, family offices, kind of high net worth individuals. So these are the the, the people who are who kind of write the checks that actually um, um, get get early stage businesses going. Once you get north of ten million, you're kind of in the business of international funds, really. But the critical ones, I suppose, in terms of getting the filling the pipeline, are those early high risk um, um, VCs, seed funds, and Enterprise Ireland. That's an interesting point you raised there about the appetite for risk. Do you think that appetite is increasing? I do, actually. Yeah. I mean, and, and the interesting thing, I suppose, is when you look at uh, HBAN, you know, the uh, the Business Angel Fund and also even uh, Spark Crowdfund, you know, Spark are the Irish crowdfunding uh, platform. They had a great year last year. I, I was talking to uh, to Chris in, in Spark and he was telling me that I think they have 9,000 individuals now on their platform and the average investment is, I think he said somewhere between two and a half and 3,000 euros. So you've all these you know, you know, young people, I, I guess, are largely young people who, uh, you know, are putting a relatively small amount of money into early stage businesses. I mean, we haven't seen that uh, up to, up to now, and and I suppose you you did see it elsewhere, uh, but and Ireland was considered to be kind of different, but um, it's it's we're changing. There's no doubt. And then looking at the profile of people that are setting up businesses, once one assumes that it, there's sort of the the stereotype of the developer in the basement who uh, meets the the business head and off they go to conquer the world. But do you find that there's sort of a a, a very broad swathe of people that are making it happen in tech at the moment, whether it's people that are retraining or somebody with a, an entrepreneurial idea and they found somebody mm-hmm. to make it happen, or that sort of tradition you know three friends together um finding something uh, that they that they want to develop and turn into a viable business yeah i i, I was in enterprise ireland and i know well sort of at one stage i did a kind of a look at the you know the profile of people who were who were kind of starting early stage tech businesses and surprisingly enough i mean i think the the average age for a, a founder to raise any money was 
something like, you know, 43 or 44. I mean, you're, you, the idea that sort of these are kind of punks of, uh, you know, in their early 20s who kind of go out and tap the market, that's not the truth, I think, and that's not the reality. And even if you look at Silicon Valley, I think, you know, it tends to be people who have some bit of business experience who actually found successful startups as opposed to the, you know, the, the archetypal uh, sort of uh, yeah, college dropout who kind of raises a couple of million in their early 20s. They're very rare. So looking towards the future then, uh, what sort of trends do you, do you see happening? I mean, one thing that I'm particularly drawn to is the number of women-led uh, startups uh, that are out there at the moment. And one of the main discussions that we're having, particularly around STEM, is the lack of female participation. How are you seeing this at the business end? Well, we uh, we also actually track uh, female founders, and we we pu- pushed out a, a report there for International Women's Day on the eighth of March. And uh, last year, female-founded businesses raised two hundred and fifty million, which is kind of a a, a very si- significant number, and it was worth really celebrating because only three years ago, you know, the object was. Could, could we see female-led businesses in Ireland raise 100 million? You know, to think it was 250 million last year is, is quite amazing and some really amazing businesses. But you have to, you know, to, to contrast the 250 million against the 1.6 billion. You know, I mean, uh, females still raise, you know, t- 10 to 15 percent of, uh, of, uh, of the funds that are raised by t- in, in tech. Um, which is, you know, it's come. They've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go, actually. But, but there are some great role models out there, some very successful businesses. So, um, um, uh, it's looking good. And and Enterprise Ireland again have, you know, have put their money where their mouth is, and they have actually put significant funding into improving uh, sort of uh, female female founded uh, businesses. They have a few. Uh, calls for female-only uh, investments and stuff like that. So, so it is changing. But no, uh, despite the, uh, the the kind of the the, the flag waving, uh, it's we still have a, a, a fair way to go to to have a kind of a, a relatively you know comparable uh, kind of playing field between companies with with female founders and and all male all male teams and that was John O'Dea the chief executive of Tech Ireland chatting with Niall Kitson that's it for our show for this week do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie and of course you can catch our show every week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson thanks as always for listening and have a fantastic Easter Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.